Titus chapter 2, reading verses 4 and 5 as we continue in our exposition of the book of Titus. We've had a number of speakers. There's been vacations. We had a special communion service last week, but we're back to the exposition of Titus. Titus 2, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read verse 3 for our benefit as well. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslave too much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Let us pray. Father, once again, we are dependent upon the Spirit of God to give us insight to the Word of God. We pray that it would be rightly divided. We know, Father, that the Word of God is a sharp sword, that it convicts, that it reveals who you are, what you expect of us. We pray that we might just submit ourselves to it, and that, Father, as we deal with this area today, and dealing specifically with young women, that you'd help us, Lord, to have a clear understanding the instruction from your word, that it might better help us to walk with God. So we thank you for this opportunity, and we pray that you'd bless as we study together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in chapter 2, Paul has been instructing Titus, as we have been studying here, in the very practical aspects of body life. We talk about body life, that is how we function or are to function within the church. And Paul's desire, as we've been seeing in our study of the Word of God, is for the body to function in its entirety before the world in a way that glorifies God and is a light to the world. There's a challenge for all of us this morning right there. Our lives, the things that we do, the things that we say, whatever it is that goes on, are we functioning as a body so that as the world observes us, they see from us what would cause them to bring glory to God and see a light that they would be attracted to in the world. As he goes on into chapter 2, he has been addressing specifics. He dealt with the leadership and a number of things in chapter 1 as we have expounded upon that. Now he comes to specifics within the body. And in verses 1 and 2, let me remind you, I will not read them. You can look at them. But he has addressed older men, how older men are to respond and to live for the Lord. Then in verses 3 and the first part of verse 4, he has been dealing with older women. And we said as we have expounded the word of God and done our best to be historically accurate, as well as contextual and comparing scripture with scripture, now, when we talk about age and we talk about older, it can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. But in reality, we're probably dealing with 60 plus. So when we're talking about older, if you're 60, biblically, that's what he's talking about. You might not think of yourself older if you're 60, but you are. And if you're under 60, that is who he is addressing as younger in the context. So now as he comes to continue on in verse 4, and in verse 5, he is addressing younger women. So how do you fall into that category if you are under 60? 
that is who he is addressing. And he's addressing the younger women. He will continue to address very specific areas. He will even get into slaves as we continue on in the text because it's so important. We cannot, and this you need to remember for any marriage and any relationship within the body of Christ, we cannot change somebody else. God has got to do that. And even in our own lives, if you make your own effort. But God wants us to understand specifically what he has for our lives, and we need to let the Holy Spirit of God have his way. And I want to say before I go into the specifics this morning that I do praise God for the many godly women, since we're dealing with that area, that we have in this church, both older women and younger women. And you ought to be praising God for that yourselves. Uh, it is a tremendous thing to have women that are older and younger that want to walk with God. So as he's addressing younger women, I want to remind you of something that we already studied. I won't go into the depth of it today, but I do want to remind you that the primary responsibility for discipleship with women, younger women, is older women. So if you are 60 or older as a, a child of God, and as a woman, you have the primary responsibility, not the elders, not the pastor. They have the responsibility to teach. But the older women, it is your responsibility. If you are 60 and older in this church, you have a responsibility. And it is to the younger women. He's very clear. You notice that again in uh, verse 4. So that they may encourage the younger women. Who? The older women from verse 3. It is their responsibility. And I would encourage you ladies this morning, if you are not active and you are an older woman, that you need to be actively involved in the lives of younger women. That is a responsibility that is given to you. You should be mentoring them. You should be preparing them for the future, for their future walk with God, for be that marriage or in their marriage with some of the trials that they face, all of that. They need godly older women who are mature and can be examples that they can follow. That is what younger women need. They don't need what society gives them. They need godly women who are examples. And so I want to remind the older women, you should have an active part. Often we get older, you hear talk about retirement, whether that be men, women, whatever. And we talk about getting, making it easy. You are never done as a child of God till God takes you home. And we ought to be involved, and even at an older age. Now, he deals with the specifics with the young ladies or the young women. And we've already covered the first two. That's why the outline is the way it is. If you look at verse 4, we've already covered these. He says that the older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands. I won't spend any more time on that. We've already expounded it. But they are to love their husbands. Secondly, they are to love their children. And it is to be in that order, not the children first. It is obviously to be God first, but then after God comes the husband, and then after the husband comes the children. Not in reverse order, which is usually the way our society has it. And so they are to be actively involved in loving their husbands and loving their children. Now we come, there's a list of seven items. We come to the last five, and they're found in verse 5. 
Verse 4 gives us the first two. Verse 5 gives us the next five areas of instruction to younger women. So if you're under 60 years of age, as a woman, turn up your ears. And by the way, that doesn't mean that the men are free from the message today. There's a lot of us that need to learn from some of the things that we'll be talking about today. So what is the third one? We come to it in verse 5. Let's look at it again. It's very clear. To be sensible. The older women are to teach the younger women to be sensible. What does that mean? It's been used in a number of different ways as far as translating in English. It's been used, the word's been used discreet, or some of your translations may say sober, or some of your translations may say, and you've got to cover that with all the translations that we have today, temperate. So to be sensible, to be discreet, to be sober, to be temperate. This is not a new word for us that can help us. What do you mean it's not a new word? It has been used of both the elders and of older men already. Where? Chapter 1, verse 8. Take a quick look there. Chapter 1, verse 8. Saying, speaking of the elders, it says, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just devout. There's the word. It is used of the older men in this chapter. In chapter 2, verse 2. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible. So we see this is not something new. It is not something that is just for the ladies. That's why I said that. It is for leadership. It is also for uh, men, older men. And it's also for younger ladies. What is that? They are to be sensible. Now, what does it mean? We've already studied it. The word means self-controlled. They are to have a life that is self-controlled. It comes from a word by which we find these type of expressions. To be a alert. To be on the alert as a young lady. To be clear-headed. To have a clear thinking in their life. They are to be clear on their objectives, clear in their thinking. They are to be free from intoxication. That is all behind this word. Young women need to understand that they need to be alert so that they have clear thinking. What does that mean? Self-controlled, clear thinking, it means that they are to be in control of their lives, not this. What? They are not to be driven by emotion. Now, emotions can be a good thing. And God's given us emotions. But if emotions are driving, you have a problem. And he wants the young women to not be driven by emotion, not to be driven by impulse, not to be driven by passion, but to be driven by clear thinking. They think things true. They don't just react, knee-jerk reactions to a circumstance. Emotions that just get carried away because of a circumstance. That would be a tendency of a young woman. And that's not a put down, it's a reality. And Paul wants Titus to instruct the older woman, you need to get the younger woman aside and they need to be examples. If you've got an older woman that they are knee jerking or they are reacting by passion or they are reacting by emotion, no matter how godly they might think they are, that's not the person to look to. But when you've got a mature, older lady, and I mean that in the biblical sense here, 
that is able to look at a circumstance, look at the situations, analyze the situations, and not just react by emotion. That's the type of lady that you want teaching the younger ladies. Because they're going to have to know how to be self-controlled. To give you some biblical examples so you have some meat on it to understand, think of the message last week when we were dealing with the communion service and we had a special service. We found Peter in Matthew chapter 16, did we not? And if you remember, Peter in Matthew chapter 16, first of all, responded very well. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, but who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Excellent response, well thought through. God says that it was not revealed by flesh and blood, but the spirit of God revealed that. In other words, he was under control. What happened a few verses later? Jesus now turns around and says, here's the plan that I have for my life. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm gonna suffer many things, and I'm gonna die. What happened? Lack of self-control. What are you talking about? Peter turns around and says, may it never be, Lord. That can't happen to you. You can't do this. Knee-jerk response. What happened? God himself turns around, Jesus, and says, get thee behind me, Satan. That is not the plan of God. You are not thinking the way God wants you to think. You are reacting on your emotions because you don't want to see me die. Guess what? If Jesus doesn't die on the cross, there is no salvation. He was not thinking the way of God. That's, an emo that's not self-control. I'll give you another example. Hezekiah. You say where? By the way, I'll give you the references. I won't turn to them. 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 12 through 14. Hezekiah walked with God, and I'm purposely picking godly people. Hezekiah had walked with God. And as he walked with God, his life was going to end, and he didn't want it to end. And he pleads with God, basically, and says, look, I've walked with you. And God says, OK, I'll give you 15 years. And everything, everything had gone well. And what happens right after that? An emotional reaction by Hezekiah. Why? Because the king of Babylon comes in, and he turns around, and out of his emotions, rather than being in self-control and thinking, out of his emotions, he reacts and says, let me show you all the treasures. And what happened? The Lord immediately after says, how foolish you have been. You went in basically your emotions, and now you're going to lose it all. And they did. How about King Saul's disobedience in 1 Samuel chapter 15, right? There's been several instances with Saul. The king was told not to go in. He can't wait any longer. He goes in and starts performing the sacrifice. Why? Emotions. He was given instruction about going in and killing everybody. He doesn't kill some of the, uh, he doesn't kill the king. He doesn't kill some of the best cattle, if you will, and animals. Why? He wants to use it for sacrifice. And what happens, God says to him, basically, I told you what to do. He says, but the people, and based on emotion, rather than based upon thinking and self-control, and Saul loses the entire kingdom and his kingship. How about King Herod? You say, King Herod, well, he's not even a godly person. No, let me try that one with you. And what I'm trying to show you is examples when emotions take over, and people don't think things through, and they're not under self-control. What do you mean? How Herod? Well, he's got a man named John the Baptist in prison. 
And then he basically has a ceremony where he has everybody and emotionally, rather than thinking things through, he has someone come and dance before him and he says, no matter what you want, I'll give you. You didn't think that one through very well. I want John's head. And now he's under pressure. Why? Because of the sake of embarrassment, he reacted emotionally. And now what happens, he has to suffer the consequences of what he did. And next thing that comes up is the head of John the Baptist. I could go on and on and on with biblical examples. Go with me to one of them, Proverbs chapter 25. This is not what a younger woman is to do. Just act on emotions. Uh, and again, there's several others. Uh, while I'm turning to this, and just think of a child with toys, right? We're getting close to Christmas. You see all this advertisement. I want this toy. I got to have this. I got to. Well, today it's not toys. It's, well, it is a toy, I guess. But it's technology. Got to have the latest iPhone. Got to have the latest this. Got to have the latest technology with that. Whatever, they get it. And then two weeks later, they're not even using it. Why? Emotions. Proverbs 25, very quickly. Uh, 25, let me look at verses 8 through 10. It says, do not be hasty to argue your case. Otherwise, what will you do in the end? In other words, here is an emotional response to something. And he says, what's going to happen in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? Why? Argue your case with your neighbor. Do not reveal the secret to another. Or he who hears it will reproach you. And an evil report about you will not pass away. Look at the context of that. What's it saying? They react to the first thing that they hear. And they react and they get carried away. And now what happens? It gets out there. And all of a sudden, they have to now answer for that response. They don't even have all of the facts. Then the facts come along, and it's kind of embarrassing to that person who reacted emotionally. That's what it's dealing with. And it's saying, teach the younger women not to do that. So younger women, there is instruction. You ought to be in self-control. In what areas? In every area. Paul is trying to be practical. What do you mean every area? In your speech? in your fashion, in your money or finances, and in the trials and tribulations that come into your life. Be under self-control. That's what the younger ladies are to be taught. Teach them to be under self-control, not passion-driven, not emotionally driven. Why? Who will suffer in the long run? The young ladies, if they react according to emotion, according to impulse. So he's concerned about that. Next, go back to Titus chapter 2. The fourth one that he comes to is that he says now in verse 5, teach the young women to be pure. Well, you say that should go without saying, obviously. Yes. What do you mean to be pure? Just exactly what it says. To be holy, both maritally, or in marriage, and morally. Let's put it that way. In all aspects of your life, stay pure. Young ladies, young women, anybody under 60. And there is a lot of instruction that I'm not turning to in Scripture where the Lord even wants widows and so forth. You better get married because there's a concern in this area. And so teach them purity. First Timothy deals with that. In other words, uh, you want to have every aspect of your life pure. Listen, is this not true to all of us, not just to the men and to the older women, but to all of us? We need to be aware of this. We're living in a world in which purity is not a concern of the world. Less and less. Less and less is it a concern. And I'm going to tell you something. Fathers 
you had better take your responsibility in training your young daughters. We need to take serious responsibility. But to get back to the young ladies for a second, let me just put it this way. I tried to really pray about this and think practically. Here's what I came up with for what it's worth. Young women, do not cause other men to lust after you. That covers it all. Don't do anything that will cause another man other than your husband to lust after you. If you are doing that, you are not living a pure life. Be careful, because our society could care less about that area. And it doesn't take much. It's a lot of men sitting in this audience. It does not take much for a man to lust after a woman. The slightest way of dressing, the slightest little comment, the slightest little anything can cause them to lust after you. Don't let it happen. That's the instruction to younger ladies. That used to be the instruction years ago. Today, they want to be just like the world. That will cause others to lust after you. Don't let it happen. Be pure. We must be teaching the younger women how to dress. And I'm not saying they don't have their own judgment and so forth, but I tell you, I'll be very practical. If you happen to see a younger lady that's not dressing properly, listen, don't wait for the pastor or the elders. You older ladies should go to them and say, you know. And by the way, you mothers, I'm amazed. I will tell you as a pastor, I've been in situations that people have come to me and literally, I was shocked that the parents would let them dress that way. They're seeking to attract people the wrong way. We need, these aren't things that this public wants to talk about. These aren't things that pastors want to talk about. But these are things that Paul talked about because he was concerned that we represent Christ and we are a holy people. So instruct the ladies. Now the next one is dynamite. What do you mean dynamite? Oh, I'm going into it. You, it's next in the word of God. I am not going to avoid it. I am going to address it. It says, be sensible, be pure. The next one is, be workers at home. Verse 5. Literally, keepers at home. Would you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5 for just a moment? 1 Timothy chapter 5. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14. Therefore, I want young widows to get married, bear children, keep house. There it is. And give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Be a keeper at home. Keep the house. Be workers at home. All of these expressions. And I just wanted to show you that this is not the only passage that this expression is used in. And that is in Titus. And I know the day and age you're living in, in the 21st century. I know the culture that we're living in. And so what do you do? Avoid this subject? Absolutely not. Today, this is probably the most controversial and problematic area to even want to touch. It's hard for women to think about this. Why? It's hard for men to even want to touch or talk about it. Why? Because it's so promoted in an opposite direction by our society by the world's thinking, by the world's philosophy. Let me get right to the point, and then I will expand it upon it. What is it talking about 
when it says, teach the younger women to be workers at home. I believe the key is this. I'm going to give it to you right up front. That younger women need to be taught that their primary responsibility, I repeat that, their primary responsibility is what? Come on. The home. Nobody wants to say it. It is. Ladies, the primary responsibility of a young woman is their home. It is not a career. This should be, listen, a non-negotiable for any godly woman. It should be a non-negotiable that the home is my first priority. Why? Because it is God's standard. Now, you talk about culture and so forth. Let me give you a quick understanding without expanding a lot. The New and Old Testament times, there was very little that a woman could even do outside of the home. She wasn't even permitted to do much outside of a home. And that resulted in problems. Why? It resulted in being bored. It resulted in gossip. It resulted in being a busybody. If you don't think that that's true, you don't know your New Testament or Old Testament. Because that's what Paul addresses. But what does, it do, what does this mean, Pastor Dan? Give it, some, give it some substance to it. Practically, biblically, let me ask some questions. Can a woman work outside of the home? Can a woman go to school to pursue an education? Can a woman honestly pursue a career? Are these things legitimate? Are they biblical? Let me, I won't turn to it because actually sometimes husbands misuse the passage and sometimes women get frightened by it. But Proverbs 31, it's dealing with the excellent wife. If you don't think that that wife was energetic, if you don't think she had a good business mind, if you don't think that she was actively involved, you're kidding yourself and you're not being honest with scripture. That woman had more energy than I could ever have in my lifetime. And half the stuff she accomplished, I don't know how she did it. What is the key? Well, the key to that passage is this. Listen, here's number one. The fear of God. When you look at that passage in Proverbs, the number one thing is she had a fear for God. She didn't care what society thought. She didn't care what century she was in. Her mind was set on pleasing God, and whatever he wanted, that's what she would do, because God was the one that created us male and female. It was God that established the roles. And she was set on fearing him first. Secondly, she was committed in, in Proverbs 31 to the family. Committed to the family. God first, family second. How? her husband, her children, her home. You read about the details in that passage. She sold things. She made sure her husband was dressed properly. Took, she was concerned about what he looked like in public, that he did have the time to do the things that he had to do. She was concerned that her children would properly be taken care of in cold weather, warm weather, that her house was provided for food. She was very, very involved, but the family was second. Second only to God. Can you keep a home and put the family first, only second to God, and do other things? 
I believe he can. Let me give you a quotation that I came across, and I read a lot of different things, but I think this one's pretty accurate. And stay with me. We'll try to be even more specific as I go. But here's a quote. The important thing is not whether or not you are working outside of the home. Going to school or, prof uh, or pursuing a professional career. Rather, it is, are you neglecting your primary responsibility? The primary responsibility is to be a homemaker as a wife and a mother. You can do all of those other things if you're not neglecting your primary responsibility. There's nothing wrong with those other things. But your primary responsibility is to the home. It is to the home. Now, there's all kinds of circumstances that come up. Young couple gets married, they don't have any children. That is not the same situation as someone who has four children at home. That is not the same situation when the children have grown up and are out of the home. You always have to analyze your entire circumstances and what is happening in your situation. The key is the focus of a young woman should be her home. Let me put it to you even more specifically. And this will rub society today, but here it is. Don't let someone else raise your children. Let me repeat that. Don't let someone else raise your children. You say, well, Pastor Dan, you're really naive because they had tutors. Yes, they did. But the primary focus, again, the family was focused in on the family. And there were some things that could not be done, so they needed to have a tutor come in to families. There are situations right now where, not just because the husband and the wife are working, but they're working and what's happening is neither the father nor the mother are raising the children. They're being raised by somebody else. Now, even in saying that, I have to address this. There are challenges, and there are realities that come into life. This is, this is what should be taught to the, to the younger women. What? That their primary responsibility is to be a worker at home, to concentrate on their household, and help the, the husband in managing that household so that the household is honoring to the Lord. But there are tragedies that come along, like what? The death of a spouse. That changes the situation. Divorce. There's divorces that come along, and then there's no child support. Those are realities to life. All of those factors have to be considered and taken into consideration. There are situations that happen where one of the spouses or the husband ends up in prison. Now what do you do? You have to provide for your family. There is situations where you're married to an unsafe spouse and the unsafe spouse absolutely insists that you have a job outside of the home. What do you do in a situation like that? You're under pressure. You have to respond to that situation because your marriage is your primary responsibility. Those are all things. So I don't think you can just come up with a standard answer for everybody other than to come back to that point that he's saying, teach the younger women that their primary responsibility is to be a worker at home. If you can accomplish that, let me give you the positive side. The positive side is that today we have such technology 
then aren't you glad, ladies, let me start with this, that you don't have to wash your clothes by going down to the river and spending all day getting them dry? And you've got a washer and a dryer? You should be. And that you have dishwashers and you have all of these conveniences? Those are good things. I'm not saying they're not. But that helps. And you can, because of that, have more time free to do other things. And there are situations, I mentioned, because the children get older and they get out out of the house and they're going to school and so forth and sometimes you can work and help supplement by even being out of the house while the children but then home when the children come home there's all different types of circumstances but let's also be reality uh, looking at reality is it not true you know we say that it's really tough for the young families to uh, get along today well I'm not saying that it's not but I know when we got married, and while that was a long time ago, and it's true, we had the same struggles. You had to decide where you would put your finances, what you could afford, what you couldn't afford. We had to sell things in order to have other things. Everybody goes through that situation and learn how to save so that hopefully we could do this or we could do that. But what people don't want to talk about is the same thing that's true today that was also true back then. What is that? Many times we try to live above our means. Many times we just have to have the latest conveniences, or the latest this, or the latest that. And it drives people to say there's no way we could survive unless this one has a career and this one has a career. We have to have the children brought up by somebody else because we can't survive financially. Have you ever looked at your finances and do you really need to spend all of that money on everything you're doing? I can't look at every situation. But some of it's trying to keep up with modern technology. Some of it's trying to keep up with the Joneses. I don't know why they picked the Jones by name, by the way. I have no idea. But you know the point that I'm saying. Difficult, yes. So what are the factors? You, as husband and wife, listen, to try to help practically. You, as husband and wife, need to set your goals for your family, listen, that are in line with what God wants for you not for somebody else. So is it possible to work outside of the home? Yes. Is it possible to do other things? Yes. Is it possible to go to school? Yes. Why not? If your priorities are where they should be, and if it is first to the home and not to that other area. You are to talk to your husband about that with goals. You are Two, be involved with your own children. You need to consider the age of your children and where they're at. You need to consider all these other benefits. But the whole point, I think, goes back to this also, that the biggest challenge to younger women, and it's in effect is also there for older women, but especially younger women, is what? It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Let's turn there. Genesis chapter 3. Here is the challenge that the young women face. Now, Adam, in my opinion, was pretty foolish. He knew what God had, and he just didn't pay attention. And that's a good picture of the way men are. And then when you see the curse and what happens, what does he say to the woman? Verse 16 of chapter 3. 
To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain of childbearing. In pain you will bring forth children. The women all know that. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. What is that dealing with? If you go through scripture carefully and look at that, the desire of the woman is going to be to usurp the position of the man. And let's be honest. We know households, I'm sure you do, and you know others where they'll turn around and use this expression, she wears the pants of the family. That's a problem. And that's what Satan is apt to try to get into a young woman, is to take control of that household in that way and to usurp that position. And in case you don't think it's true, for, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. But women will be preserved. What do you mean? They're not saved outside of trusting in Christ. Look at the context of it. But it says that they're preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. And you look at the passage of that. Turn with me to chapter 5 of the same book. Chapter 5 of the same book. And you look at the context, she'll be kept from trying to usurp that position. Why? Through bringing children into the world. By loving her husband. By doing what God has her to do. And in chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, same thing. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house. And not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies. It's talking about women. Talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want, watch, younger widows, I already read that, to get married, to bear children, to keep house. Why? And to give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and on it goes. The whole point is the drive in a younger woman is going to be to try to take that position away from the husband rather than to submit to that leadership. And every woman will face it. And so the instruction through Titus, or to Titus through Paul, is simply teach the older women to teach the younger women to have self-control of their emotions, to be pure also, and to be workers at home. That's what God's called them to do. That doesn't mean you can't do those other things. But the priority is to be in the home. Let me say this. If we remember that God has established marriage, that God is the one who established roles, not us. It is God who has established the responsibilities for the male and the female, for the husband, for the wife. God did that. And I will encourage you with this. If you follow what God wants, he has designed it to maximize you glorifying God and your reward in heaven. But you need to follow him, not, his, not the world's plan. If you follow God's plan as designed, you will be fulfilled. Often young ladies say, I'm not fulfilled. It's because you're not satisfied with being in the role that God gave you, and you're not following through to the fullest of his glory. The Christian family is to be shining as a light to the community. And that's husbands as well. 
Husbands needing to love their wives. Why? You need to be commanded to love your wife because husbands don't love their wives. We need to be a shining light. We had to function according to God's plan. Now let's go on very quickly and finish this up. Back to Titus chapter 2. He has two more. He says, not only are they to be sensible, that is self-controlled, not only pure, not only workers at home, but they are to be kind. That simply means gentle, considerate, good, useful, helpful toward others. That kindness should be seen in every young woman's life. And then it says this, and this again becomes a difficult one for our society, but he says seven, they are to be subject to their own husbands. And I emphasize the word because it's in the scriptures, their own husbands. And we don't like that one. That's because we don't understand it. This doesn't mean that she's any less a person. There is equality in God's eyes. Male, female are equal. There's no loss of equality, but it is God that has designed roles in the marriage. She's not less a person. Listen, men, this does not mean when it says that the women are to be subject to their own husbands that she cannot have an opinion. So many men think that my wife has no right to an opinion in anything or her opinion doesn't count. You are a foolish husband if you're thinking that way. Her opinion may be greater than yours, may be smarter than yours. That doesn't mean this at all. In fact, she may be a lot wiser than you. And I'm saying that with my wife sitting right out in front of me, but I've said it publicly before, and I'm not just saying it with words. I believe it with all my heart. My wife is a lot smarter than I am. And I had better listen to some of the things that she has to say. This isn't dealing with that. It doesn't mean that a wife cannot make decisions. Sometimes wives, I've heard young, young couples just get married and say, she's going to listen to me because I, boy, you are in for trouble. That's not what the scriptures mean at all. It doesn't mean she can't make decisions. She's got the right to make decisions. She's got the right to be a part of conversations. You are equals. But what it does mean, the word means to rank yourself under. That's what it means. In other words, even if she is smarter, sometimes she takes the position for the overall family situation, for this situation, but more importantly, because I fear God, though I even disagree, I will rank myself under the leadership of my husband because he is the leader of this home by God's standard, and I will follow what he says. But listen, men, don't be foolish. If they're wiser, change your decision. Change your decision. It's a willing to follow a leader. And to bring it right into the home, let me challenge the husbands. Are you a husband that's worthy to be followed? You say, biblically, she's supposed to follow me anyway. That's true. But when someone is following you because they love you and want to follow you, it's because you've been an example to them and they know they can trust you. And your wife should be able to trust you under all circumstances. So that's subject to your own husbands. And why? I think there's a purpose in that. Why? Even in the work environment, let's be honest. If, you have, if you're in a work environment under a career and you have men over you, you have to be subject to them. 
But there's also a lot of temptations that come in that work world, just like your husband faces in his work world. And what Paul is trying to tell Titus isn't, look, you can't enjoy life. It's not that you're not equal. It's, it's that you just have to just do this. It's no, we want God to be honored because he gave marriage, he gave structure. Teach those younger ladies how to take a priority in their home. She was very industrious in Proverbs 31, but she was also submissive to her own husband. Why? Because she feared God. You know, I am very careful with stuff like this, but I hope this will help you to understand the practicality. And the only reason I'm using this example is because they publicly here have said things. But as you know, a very involved family in our church just moved away to Florida. That'll help you to know who I'm talking about. But as they moved away to Florida, they, they expressed publicly that and we had a great opportunity to visit with them, but they expressed publicly they didn't really want to go. They loved it here. They loved this area. But the family submitted. Why? Because God was leading and it was obvious that this is what he wanted. And they had to move from the area. That's what we're talking about. That's a matter of there was different opinions, different situations, but and the harmony in the home is wonderful because they're functioning that way. But I want you to catch this as I close. Why give this instruction to women? Why do you want to talk about having self-control, loving your husbands, loving your children, being pure, working at home? Why? This is the end of it right at the end of verse 5. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. Literally, so people won't blaspheme the word of God. You say you're a Christian home, and you wear the pants in your family over your husband, that's a reversal. You say that you want to honor God, and you talk about your husband, and you're never taking the time to be with your children and guide them, that's a mockery of Christianity. It blasphemes it. Your actions do it. And that's what he doesn't want. He wants the women to think wisely to take care of the home. And especially if you've got an unsaved spouse. I'm not dealing with the text, but isn't it true? You get an unsaved spouse, what do you do? You live with him. And let him see the testimony of Christ. Let me tell you something. An unsaved husband that has a wife that is a godly wife is praising the Lord even though he doesn't know it. And the scriptures say, you will win that person by your actions, not by preaching and jamming the Bible down his throat. I'm paraphrasing. And that's what we need, godly women. Probably to compare it, and I will close with this. Second Samuel chapter 12, it was Saul, uh, David, excuse me. And as you know, David sinned with Bathsheba. But you know the key to that whole passage, in my opinion? It was this, and I quote from verse 14. David had now given the, and I quote, opportunity for people to blaspheme God because of what he did. Why? He had committed adultery. And now it was God's name. When a woman does not have self-control over her emotion, emotions, 
It is the world that will blaspheme the name of God and look at you and say, that's a Christian? I don't care what happened. That action, that's a Christian? When a woman is not pure, they will look and say, don't you know God? When a woman does not make the home her priority, it is the world that will look and say, that's Christianity? I thought it was different. And that's what we need to see. That's true also of husbands. I have one quote in closing. It was from a 19th century German philosopher, and he said this, very simple, very quick. And I quote, he said, show me your redeemed life, and I might be inclined to believe in your redeemer. End quote. I repeat it again. Show me your redeemed life. And men, that goes for us as well. Let's see the redeemed life, then maybe, just maybe, I'll believe your Redeemer. They want to see it. And our responsibility is to follow God's plan, not the world's. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Paul had the courage to instruct Titus that he was practical, that he didn't start with the ladies, he started with the men. Started with the men and gave them serious instructions. He started with the leadership. And then he progressed on to the older woman and younger woman. And Father, as we look at these things, we pray. We're in the 21st century where there's so much battle against the word of God. I thank you and praise you that in this church we have ladies, young women, who seek to honor you, who do fear you and want to walk with you, we know that there are circumstances and some situations that are so difficult because of loss of spouses and other circumstances. and People have to work hours just to survive, even because their family is a priority. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to that. And help us, Father, to every single one that names the name of Christ, to be careful that we don't give opportunity for the world to blaspheme your name because of our actions. And I pray that you'd get the honor and that we'd see that we'd just be able to rejoice in that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.